So accessibility in marketing is really just making sure that everyone, no matter their physical or cognitive ability, can consume and enjoy your content. Making accessible content is super easy. I feel like people kind of get freaked out when I start talking about it, like it's going to be something difficult or add on to what they're already doing. It's really not. Welcome to the Making a Marketer podcast, the show for all levels of experience with the best guests in the industry. Now, more than ever, it's important to keep up on the latest marketing trends and topics, and this is just the spot. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Now Marketing Group. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 75, y'all, 75 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing, which is the current sponsor of this show. If you would like to sponsor it, y'all let me know. We would love to have you. Powers of Marketing empowers small to medium-sized businesses with strategic marketing development and execution. And my co-host for all these 75 episodes... Well, mostly, except the ones I did live, um, is Jen Cole. Hi, Jen Cole. How are you today? <laughs> I'm great, Megan. How are you doing today? I'm actually really good. You know, those some days are good and some days are not. And today is a good day. Yesterday was a good day. So I got two in a row. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really exciting. My day has been really good, too. It's been a lot of writing, which means I'm oh, tired. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, actually, I was just reading in Anne Hanley's book about writing, not setting an amount of time to write, but setting a, a number of words to write goal um, mm. per day, which I think is super smart. Something I need to yeah, take I think I've heed. I've heard her say that before. It, it is really smart. Yeah. So this big Mastodon show, we had to have an incredible guest, and we do, and really important, super important topic, which is making the rounds, which makes me happy. I know it makes her happy. Alex Heinrich, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Okay, we're talking accessibility and marking, and we'll get a little bit into one of our questions, the word accessibility, and maybe another word that might be better for it, not just because I can't spell it. I misspell it. It's one of those words for me. <laughs> Every time I write it, I'm like, what? Why can't I spell this correctly? <laughs> All right, I'm going to read Alex's bio. Alex Heinrich, digital accessibility advocate and social media manager at St. Petersburg College. Alex is an award-winning social media strategist from Chicago, now living in Central Florida. She has worked in higher education since 2014, and one of her big passions is teaching other digital marketers how they can create content that's both engaging and inclusive through basic digital accessibility best practices. She was also the Sprout Social 2020 Always On Award winner in September of 2020. Winners of this award are social media pros who are constantly taking in the world around them, empathizing with their community, and truly championing power of social media. That's awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. It's very exciting because I'm a huge Sprout Social fan and I use them for managing all of my social media. So I was very excited. That's awesome. I have been using them for the last like eight months or so with client that I have. I'm normally an Agorapulse person. And so it's been kind of hard to go back and forth between the two, but I definitely have enjoyed it. All right, Miss Jen, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'll start us off. So we're going to start from the very beginning 
And I've heard that that's a very good place to start. If someone asked you what is accessibility in marketing, what is your answer? So accessibility in marketing is really just making sure that everyone, no matter their physical or cognitive ability, can consume and enjoy your content. There are individuals around the world who have vision impairments, they have hearing impairments, they're disabled. And it's important that we make sure we are optimizing our content so that they're not being excluded from the conversation. Yeah, that's very, very important. I think it's a lot of things that it's it's something that people just kind of forget about and take for granted the ability to see something on the screen. And so I love that we're talking about this today because it's very important. It's something that's actually been in the back of my mind lately as well, especially now that you're starting to see it more. Like when you're making a post on LinkedIn, you're being asked for alt text. Same thing on Twitter. Mm -hmm. If you do it manually, you're being asked for alt text. And even uh, third-party tools are starting to do it, which is really, really cool to see that. Yeah, there are quite a few third-party sites, apps that are more on top of that now. So I always talk about Sprout Social, Hootsuite, Buffer, Agora Pulse. They all have those capabilities. There are quite a few out there. It kind of varies from site to site, but it's becoming more of a priority with platforms, which is just, I I love it. It makes me so happy because it just (laughs) makes my job easier. Yeah. So we talk accessibility. I really like the word inclusive over accessible. And I saw that you have that on your website. So I just wonder if we could talk for a minute. This is might be silly, but whether inclusive is a better word or why is it important for our digital marketing? I mean, you kind of already talked about it a little bit, but to be inclusive. And is there a difference between inclusive and accessible? So you can use them interchangeably in conversation, but to me, accessibility falls under inclusion, okay. under inclusion, essentially. So there's a lot of different ways to be inclusive. I mean, we just went through 2020 and Black Lives Matter was a huge topic of discussion. And, you know, race falls under inclusion. Accessibility falls under inclusion. Gender, sex politics falls under inclusion. So accessibility is part of inclusion. Inclusion is the big overall goal whereas I really focus on accessibility as the smaller part of that. So, but in in normal conversations, I can say inclusive content because it means a lot of things, but I mostly just focus on the accessibility part of it. Yeah, that's a great point. It totally makes sense. I just hadn't really thought about it um, because I was just like laser focused in on this piece. So, and obviously we know why it's important. You already talked about that when, when Jen asked her question. I think it's interesting that it's just emerging now as a, more important thing. And for me personally, we're all in different spaces, even though we're all online, right? So I think that your voice being amplified, you talking about it and hearing like you're here today because I heard you talk about it. I saw you before you were on Twitter Smarter, Madeline's tweet chat. But anyway, I love it. I think that you're being a voice for this is is pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably a bigger topic in the past year, just because we all are online and it comes up with how is everyone managing to be online and do things online? So it's definitely a bigger topic now. Right. Well, being digital marketers, being online hasn't been new to us. So this whole like, oh, now that we're all online, we're we're all looking at each other like, what do you mean now? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. All the other people who weren't always (laughs) online and their kids weren't always online and all that kind of good stuff. So Alex, um, let's talk about what a screen reader is and how it works. Do you mind explaining that for everyone? Sure. 
So a screen reader is assistive technology that someone who is blind or uh, visually impaired would use to consume digital content, navigate through digital spaces. So you actually have a screen reader built into your smartphone, which is super convenient. So iPhones, Androids, they have screen readers. On iPhones, it's called VoiceOver. On Androids, it's called TalkBack. So basically, you can go into your phone and turn it on and it's then touch sensitive on your phone where you can tap different things on your screen and your phone will read that content aloud to you. So that's how someone who can't see or can't see well would navigate through those spaces. I personally use it to test content to make sure that my content is accessible or to test if someone's content isn't accessible. So I use it a lot for that just to see what does this sound like if someone's using a screen reader. So that's why I stress to people about alt text and all these different aspects of your content. How does a screen reader interact with this? So it's just about thinking about your content in different ways. But yeah, it's, it's basically just assistive technology that uses data from the content to read it aloud to the user. So I am feeling lots of shame in this moment because I worked for a vision foundation and I didn't know about any of this stuff. And I, I, we talked about screen readers in terms of like, and we actually gifted them to, you know, visually impaired schools and stuff like that. But they were like, you know, physical where you put it over the, you know, a child would put it over a book. Again, this was like, it was eight years ago. So I think maybe technology has come a ways since then too. So maybe I don't need to feel totally guilty. <laughs> and and that's, that's honestly a pretty normal reaction that I get when I talk to both new digital marketers and veteran digital marketers. There's not a lot of resources for digital marketers specifically around this topic. So, and plus a lot of us don't start in marketing. I don't have a degree in marketing. I have an advertising art degree from Columbia in Chicago. So I didn't have this background. I just kind of fell into social media and I learned about this stuff myself by doing my own research by accident. So that's a pretty common reaction is guilt. And I always stress to people that this is an industry failing. This is not on individuals. This is the industry not stressing this. It is the platforms themselves not prioritizing it until very recently. So Twitter's pretty transparent about it but the other platforms aren't. They don't make a big deal about it. So how would digital marketers know if they don't have someone in their life telling them about it or they don't personally use this technology? So it's good to feel that shame because it means that you want to do better. But I also don't want people to ride that feeling for the entirety of learning about this. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> that. All right. So on that kind of front, I've been in my own personal hell with YouTube with captions in YouTube. So I, two, oh, I have a two-parter. I Well, and that is that I was given an SRT file that I was trying to use that turns out was zero bytes. So that was one part of my problem. But the other part of my problem was that YouTube, I have closed captions on for everything. I set it to be on for everything and they're not displaying for me. So when I auto-generate or I upload an SRT file, I have to ask someone else to look at it for me right now because mm -hmm. I can't tell if the captions are happening. So what's your opinion on the quality of the automated captions in YouTube 
And, and then once you do that, how do you actually reuse that video so that the captions display? So when I upload a video to YouTube, uh, I will typically upload a video as unlisted and then I will let YouTube kind of auto caption overnight. So depending on how long the video is, it kind of varies on how long it's going to take YouTube to caption your video. So I'll usually do it at the end of the night. I'll go to bed. And by the next morning, YouTube will have generated those auto captions. I will then go into the subtitles on YouTube Media Studio, the subtitles tab, and edit the auto captions. So you can do the duplicate and edit. You edit those captions for accuracy, and then it will auto sync the timing through YouTube. So usually that works. And that's how I will auto caption my videos for closed captioning. I've never heard of it like not appearing. That's kind of an interesting conundrum there. But yeah, I let YouTube do most of the dirty work for me, the heavy lift, because captioning any video takes a lot of time for me. I'm not a fast typer at all. But the thing that well, I and like it's about expensive. It, it can be expensive to have it done too. Yes, it can. There are expensive services. But the thing that I like about YouTube when you do your captions through YouTube is you can then download that SRT file and use it if you upload your video directly to Facebook, LinkedIn, or if it's under two minutes and 20 seconds to Twitter as well, and then upload your SRT file with it. So that's what I really like about using YouTube to do that. I believe you can do the same thing through Vimeo as well, but it is nice to have that SRT file kind of made for you once you've kind of cleaned up YouTube's uh, auto captions because they aren't usually stellar. Exactly. It's okay. Punctuation's usually missing and there's lots of things that need to be corrected. But for the most part, they do a lot of the heavy lift for you, which is nice. Okay. So you have to download the SRT file that I, after listening to you on Clubhouse last week, I was like, oh, I can just download it. But, and I didn't, I couldn't tell whether it was a product of me just having an issue to begin with or what, but I was, I was expecting once I had it auto-generate, and then I was downloading the video that the captions would be on the video, but there still remain a separate file. Yes. So there's a difference between closed captions, which is the user gets to choose if they're toggled on or off there. It's a separate file from your video. What you're thinking of would be open captions. So they are burned directly onto the video. They are one single track within the video and a user cannot turn them on or off. So those are open captions. So yeah, if you were to download the video and download the SRT file from YouTube, that video file is not going to have the captions on it. It's in the SRT file still. So, but thankfully again, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you can upload the video and the SRT file, which is super convenient. Instagram's the only one that doesn't let you do that. Yeah. But can you in the scheduling tools upload it? Cause I haven't seen that. Be able to upload so. an SRT. I think you can with Sprout for Facebook, no, for Twitter, you can. I don't know about the other platforms. Okay. I don't schedule everything through Sprout. There are some things that I have to do workarounds in the native platforms, unfortunately. But yeah, it's it, I don't do a lot of video work either. So, But when I have to, I just do it through the native platforms. Gotcha. Yeah, I have about 30 videos that I need to get <laughs> in line. And so I have, I think, five, five that I've got now done. I think now that I know part of my issue was just that my... YouTube, my computer's drunk or something. It's just not, it's just not working. <laughs> um, but at least I, I have that knowledge now. Okay. So I can't believe it. We're already halfway and we like to take a brain break. And so our brain break topic for this wonderful month and for our 75th episode is what would you love 
having to do for 75 days in a row. If there was something that you committed to doing for 75 days in a row that you would enjoy, what would that be? And you know, what's funny about this is that I, I'm the one that most of the time comes up with the questions. I don't know what my answer is. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but Jen, actually, I kind of do. Jen saw the question already, so I usually like let her go first. Miss Jen Cole, what, what right. seventy-five days is a long in a row is a long time. You know, I I had one answer, but then you're like something that you would like to do, not need to do, but like to like have fun. Love, doing. it's I love month. Love what would you love? What would you love to do? Oh well. I, okay, here's my answer to this. I would love to have like a list of maybe seven places, you know, to go for maybe like four to five days and bounce around for 75 days traveling to all of these different places, like even just around the world or within the United States. I just want to get out. I really want to go see people. <laughs> I come on to say, this feels like a pandemic to- answer. <laughs> I see. <laughs> I think you might be right, but it's what I really, really would love to do. <laughs> I love it sounds that. Sounds fun though. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Want to come? All right. Yeah, let's go. Yes. <laughs> Alex, do you have an answer? Yes. So I think 75 days in a row, I would want to be taste testing Ben and Jerry's ice cream, a different flavor every single day. I'm a huge Ben and Jerry's fan. I really love their social media as well. They have sent me free ice cream coupons before for helping them create more accessible content. So I've loved them since the womb. I would love to taste test a different Ben and Jerry's flavor every single day for 75 days. I I probably wouldn't get sick of it either. That is awesome. Your answers are so much better than mine. Because mine was like realistic. Because of course, the byproduct of that is that you there would be no side effect, right? You wouldn't get any weight or anything. Um, <laughs> ice cream makes me sick. So I probably oh. wouldn't gain any weight. Well, in that world, you would also have a tolerance for it. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of tolerance. And <laughs> I'd just be like chewing lactates like crazy. You're like, I don't care. This is bad for me. And I don't care. I, I just don't. So I eat one of the awesome. mini Ben and Jerry's every single night. So... Okay. Wow. Good for you. All right. So mine is I'd like to be at the beach 75 days in a row. I was going to say sunset, see the sunset every day for 75 days in a row. That is a little bit easier for me that the picture behind me is my view from my apartment. So (laughs) that you can't see because this is an audio podcast, but I was just saying for for Alex and Jen. (laughs) But yeah, I think, I think, thank you. Yeah. So 75 days, in a row at the beach. I think that's my, I'm sticking with that. That'd be the life. When I lived in Chicago, I would say something like that. And now I live two minutes from the beach and I'm like, never there. <laughs> I don't know what's <laughs> wrong with me. You, I know what, cause you take it for granted. You're like, oh, it's yeah. there. I'll go. Yeah. I do the same thing. I hardly ever go to the beach and it's, yeah, it's 15 minutes away. Flip side, whenever Jen Cole is here, I take her to the beach because she lives in the middle of the country. <laughs> Every single time I come out there, she always takes me to the beach. It is amazing. And I really appreciate it. So actually, before we continue on with the second half, Alex, I was, I have a question. You said you're in, your bio said you're in central Florida. Is Tampa at St. Petersburg and Tampa Bay, or is that considered central Florida? Yeah, it is. It's like the middle of the state. I'm on the yeah. Gulf Coast for okay. those of you who are listening. But yeah, yeah, I live on a barrier island town just outside of St. Petersburg, which is just outside of uh, Tampa Bay. 
Right. Okay. Wow. That's really I, cool. In my mind, Central is Orlando. So that's why I got a little confused. I'm easily confused these days. So, so. <laughs> All right, Jen, let's go. <laughs> All right. And with that, let's talk specifics. How can you give our listeners some specific tips about what they can do to make their social media uh, more inclusive? Sure. So making accessible content is super easy. I feel like people kind of get freaked out when I start talking about it, like it's going to be something difficult or add on to what they're already doing. It's really not. So one of the easiest ways to make your social media content more accessible is by using camel case for your hashtags. So I love talking about camel case hashtags because people normally giggle when I talk about it. Camel case just means that when you have a compound hashtag, so it has more than one word in it, you capitalize the first letter in each of those words so that a screen reader sees those capital letters and reads it as more than one word and not as like one Frankenstein word. So that's really easy way to do it. Putting alt text on your images. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn all allow for alt text. Alt text is the metadata that you attach to an image before you publish your post. And then a screen reader, when it comes across your image, will pick up that alt text and read that aloud to describe the picture to the user, essentially. So that's super easy. Emojis, I love them so much. You got to put them at the end of your posts because they all have little descriptors attached to them that a screen reader is going to read aloud. So right now, like people love doing bullet points with their emojis. And I'm like, sorry, it's yeah, not Clubhouse, accessible. It's like the worst on Clubhouse and I'm guilty of it too. But Oh, same. So bad. I do it all the time. I didn't know. Every, I'm sorry. Everyone's bio on Clubhouse when I got on there a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, they, they allow a lot of characters for your bios and everyone right. has has little emojis. But yeah, unfortunately, if you're putting them in the middle of your content, it could be super confusing. I always encourage people to use the website emojipedia.org if they want to see what the descriptors are for specific emojis. It's very helpful, especially because a lot of emojis have different descriptors depending on the device or platform that you're on. So that's funny. That's another really useful tip is just put them at the end of your posts and tweets and use them in moderation. Captioning your videos, obviously, that's probably the most obvious one that people are very familiar with because it's a visible way to be accessible. The other ways are more invisible for people. But yeah, caption your videos. So either doing closed captions or open captions. I personally have an app on my phone for doing open captions for stories and Instagram videos and all the places that don't allow for closed captioning for whatever reason, even though it's 2021. What's that? I use mixed captions. I really like mixed captions. It does the auto captioning for you. And then you can kind of go in and adjust them if you need to, but it's, it's a really diverse app and it's very inexpensive. So I just have the yearly subscription, which is like nothing. And then if you need to buy more time, you can't, but I am a big fan of mixed captions just because it's such a diverse app for doing open captions. Yeah. I love that. And we'll include that in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are pretty much the basics of accessible content. There's a lot of other things you can do. People know that I don't really like ASCII art, which is when you use characters, punctuation, all that stuff to make illustrations. It's very popular right now. Unfortunately, it's not accessible. Screen readers 
can't really look at these characters be like, oh, it's a picture. I'm going to describe this picture. They're not programmed to do that. So I always encourage people either don't use ASCII art or screenshot your ASCII art, upload it as an image and put alt text on it. So there are workarounds, but I just avoid ASCII art. I don't, I don't know how people format all that. I don't have time for that. So (laughs) I've always wondered, I've marveled at those, like, but I feel like I haven't seen them really recently. I used to feel like you used to see it all the time, but right. I don't feel like I've seen it as much, but you are, so There's some, it's out there. Yeah, it comes and goes in waves. I see some big brands kind of use it. Carl's Jr., like, I don't know what their social is doing, but they were doing a lot of ASCII art a couple weeks ago and then using the, like, fancy Unicode characters that you have to copy and paste from other sites and using that. Those also aren't accessible. Most What brand users. was that? You cut out a little Carl, bit. What brand was it? Yeah, it was a uh, Carl's Jr. Oh, so the yeah, yeah. Hamburger chain. Their yeah. social media was having a day. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about alt text. I am, you know, started web developing back when in the Stone Ages, and you know, ninety eight, and so I've been familiar with alt text ever since. But funny. The original reason for alt text, at least as it was explained to me, is that in case your image doesn't show, then this is what they know the person will see, like as your limit, your image is like uploading or loading onto the page or whatever. And so I just, in my mind, up until recently, have always just kind of had that approach to it. Obviously, it's different now. I do have a client that likes to put a lot of text on their images, which I know is hard and not great for ADA and all of that kind of stuff. So. What are some tips for how to write high quality alt text for for different places? So I do try to keep my alt text pretty short and sweet just so that I'm not uh, making the content too long. You know, social media is supposed to be fast. I definitely avoid flattened text on images. If you're going to do flattened text, it better be something like Basically, you want to treat your digital images like a billboard. So very short if you're doing text because all that flattened text needs to go into your alt text so that a screen reader can actually pick it up and read it aloud. I try to be kind of clinical with my alt text. So I'm really focused on describing the details of the photo. I'm not trying to put in my own emotion into the photo. I want the user to use their imagination, essentially. When they read my words, can they visualize it and use their own emotions to figure out, oh, this is the context for this. Plus, you're going to have written context with your images on social more than likely. So that'll kind of play into it as well. I don't use acronyms or abbreviations in my alt text because a screen reader can't always pick that up and say it correctly. So it's better to type everything out in full. Sometimes if I think it's going to, if a screen reader is going to say something kind of funky, I will do the the best to my ability, the phonetic spelling of something. So it gets kind of interesting if you ever see someone's alt text, like what we do to make sure that a screen reader says something correctly. It's, it's definitely a creative exercise and it's, it's subjective. So it's based on who's writing your alt text, but it gets easier the more you do it. Yeah. Well, and I noticed that Twitter shows it like at the bottom. So you can see it. You don't even have to put your cursor over the image to see it like you, you know, on websites that used to be the thing. It's not the thing anymore. All text is not, doesn't show up when you put your cursor over an image. But what I do try to do, because I've been just kind of like living with what they have created, I'm going to leave them with 
all of these accessibility tips as I round up the, the project. But on Facebook and LinkedIn, I've been putting the quote, because it's it's been quotes, like they find all these programs in infectious diseases and for students and, and grants and stuff. And so it's quotes from the people who have been granted you know, who have been given a $100,000 grant, or it's the school that's a special interest group for that school. And it's how, what they're doing in their program or whatever, over a picture of the school or whatever. So, and Twitter, I can't put it, ironically, Twitter allows the more, the most characters in their Mm -hmm. alt text. So I will put that entire quote, I'll copy it out of Canva and I'll put it into the alt text on Twitter because I can't quote the whole thing. But then on right. the other platforms, I've been putting the what the quote is inside the body of the, and this is because of your teachings, um, in the body of the message, and then just describing, you know, grant awardee gives thanks or, or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. short description of like what it what it is versus what it says. Yeah, I just did that whole like really long thread that really made the rounds on flattened text on images. And that was kind of one of the things that I said, if you can put that flattened text into the written part of your post or tweet, that's awesome because then you don't actually need to repeat yourself in the alt text because then you're just repeating yourself and a screen reader user is hearing the same thing twice. So then you just need to say promotional image for, or kind of describe, well, it's already in the written part. So there are workarounds to think about with this. Um, But yeah, no, that's a great practice. Just making sure that it is somewhere in a readable format in your content is great. Yeah, I learned that from you. Thank you. Thank you. So Alex, we've covered a lot of things today and I have learned so much and I'm I'm so excited to take a lot of this and apply it to my clients' work and to my own work and to everything. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about digital accessibility? The thing that I always stress to people is that Disability is not black and white. You know, people who are blind are not necessarily completely blind. People who are deaf are not completely deaf. There are people with situational disabilities, with temporary disabilities, with invisible disabilities. So it's best when you create your content that you try and think from several different angles of how are people going to consume this content? How are they going to be able to enjoy what I'm putting out to social media? So I just try to encourage people to put themselves in other people's positions and be conscious of that. It's not just so someone like you can enjoy the content. We want everyone to enjoy the content and 65% of the global population has a sensory disability. So that's a huge number to think about. Yeah, it's just trying to make sure that the entire world can enjoy what we all see and hear and love on social media. Let's say that a bit louder for the people in the back. 65%. Yeah. Think about how many people are not seeing your message if you're not doing it right. Just let that that sink in a little bit. Yeah. That's the thing. We're digital marketers. The whole point of our job is to reach as many people as possible. And if you are excluding people, you are missing out important connections, conversations, conversions, and that's just bad marketing. So it's being a bad human, but it's also being a bad marketer. Right. 
<laughs> no, for sure. Okay, so I got it. We're going to step a little bit outside of the accessibility thing because I just I want to talk for you a second about doing social in higher ed. I had a client that it was the San Diego State University Hospitality and Tourism Management School, and I was managing their social media. So I wanted to just kind of hear from you. What do you enjoy the most about it? What's your biggest challenge? And I wonder if it has to do with, I saw the article that you shared today about followers and engagement, not that they shouldn't, those shouldn't be the main metrics by which you are measured. So let's talk to us a little bit about your job. So I love working in higher education. I've always worked in higher education. When I was in Chicago, I worked for City Colleges of Chicago, which is seven colleges, seven community colleges in one system. And I just like being able to engage with students and hear their different stories and share those stories. And those are actually the pieces of content that perform the best because people just want to hear about students and why students love their school and what they've been doing with their education. So that's what I really love about higher education. I think the most challenging part, not even just higher education, but any social media professional's job is, you know, social media is not old, but it's it's also not young anymore, but people still don't really understand what we do for our jobs. So I'm just not pushing buttons on Facebook all day. It's, it's more involved than that, but also just educating people about the do's and don'ts of social media of you can't just throw this to me at the last second and expect it to work, especially because none of our timelines are chronological anymore. But then, you know, educating my coworkers and my colleagues about accessibility so that I do get better content, which has been huge since I came to the college almost two years ago, was you can't give me event flyers. I don't use that. So you got to give me something else. You got to give me better content. So just really educating my colleagues so that they understand what I do and how I can best serve them so that we can best serve our students and our community has been huge. And I thankfully work in a place where everyone is really open to that. And I do get treated like the professional, which is great because I can't say the same thing for a lot of my higher education peers. I have it extremely good where I work and my leadership team is very supportive of what I do for the college and outside of the college. So it's been great because the pandemic was ha, has not been easy. But again, I have a really great leadership team that is really supportive of everything that I do, which is outstanding and makes my stress levels go down. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed my time there. And yeah, um, I was on campus one day a week to, and it was just, and it's where I went to college too. So being able to walk around my old stomping grounds and the program that I was working for has a lot of clubs. And so the club, and they have a a lounge, like where most of the, where the offices are and stuff. So a little bit different, I think, working for just a program versus the whole university, Mm -hmm. which that's your role, right? You're, you're like, yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm over everything. Yeah. That's a big job. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was even bigger when I was in Chicago because I was the only full-time social media person for all seven colleges. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I managed an equal number number of counts and now, but I have volunteer people and I also have interns. Whereas in Chicago, there were volunteer people, but they're trying to split their full-time job with throwing things on Facebook, which is essentially what it was, um, which is why I always tell people... you know, social media is not 
other duties as assigned. That's not what this is. So it's it's a full-time position if you want it done well. Right. If you just want to throw things online and hope something works, you know, throwing things at the wall and hoping it sticks, then you can do a part-time person. But on that, you got to have a full-time person. Yeah, they lost funding for my position. And so, but at least they had my the strategy that I put together and like the, the video plan. And I'd taken a mm-hmm. lot of videos that they were still able to use. But yeah, the receptionist or, you know, the admin, I think ended up um, taking over. So it was interesting to watch. You know how it's hard, like when you leave something and you see what's happening after, <laughs> after you've gone and it's like, oh. When right. I left my, my old job, I... I knew I was leaving because I had taken this new position. And so in the two weeks that I had before I left, I scheduled out three months of evergreen content for their Twitter and Facebook of, here you guys go, please hire someone in the next three months because otherwise someone else needs to step in, but also please someone check the inboxes. Right. I can't, I can't do anything (laughs) about that. Engagement. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But they have filled that position now, thankfully. So Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I did a month. I wasn't about to do six months. That was, uh, I also only got three days notice. So there's that. That's a story for another time. So we like to finish now. We've started asking our guests when there's time, if there's a business book that you can recommend to our readers, do you have one? Yes. So I might botch the title a little bit because it's a little bit longer, but it's the Fundamentals of Social Media Strategy from Campus Sonar. Campus Sonar is a higher education-based platform for social media. Their team is outstanding, and they recently released a book that is amazing. It also has a small section in there for accessibility that my friend Erica Baltz, who is an outstanding accessibility advocate as well, she guest wrote that portion of the book. So I highly recommend that book. It's it's very good. And everyone in higher education kind of swears by it because it's so thorough. That's really good to know. I love that. Thank you for that. Well, thank you so much. This has been awesome. And um, I also appreciate your she had short notice, y'all, <laughs> because we had another guest and not work out. And 75 is so important. I was like, we got to get this done. Let's do this thing. So thank you for being with us today. Of course, of course. I have nowhere to go because it's a <laughs> pandemic outside. So and my calendar is usually pretty flexible. <laughs> Just what can I do from my home desk? But thank you yeah. for having me. I was uh, very appreciative of the invite and I was glad to talk to both of you about such an important topic. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you, Jen Cole, my co-host with the Mo Host. 75 is a big number and I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Megan Air 5. This has been amazing so far. I can't wait for so many more. 75 more. More. Throwing confetti. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll hit hit show 100 in season five. But, but yeah. So, looking forward to to the next milestone and all the amazing shows in between. (laughs) All right. Just two more quick housekeeping things for our listeners. I don't mention this enough, but... We are on Twitter and our Twitter account is make a marketer because making a marketer was taken. And of course, nobody's, nothing's happening there. But anyway, at make a marketer, please follow us there. I did get the URL making a marketer podcast.com right now at auto directs to our Twitter account, but also uh, we're going to start doing some stuff on clubhouse. And in fact, next month we will have a show on clubhouse. I'm going to create a making a marketer club 
on Clubhouse. I did buy the URL, makingamarketer.club. So nice. um, again, right now it auto directs to our Twitter. <laughs> but anyway, the idea being, I want podcasting is a hard thing because we have a community, but it's like one way um, right now. So I'm looking forward to to hopefully changing that and get some of our listeners to come and chat with us on Clubhouse. So, and speaking of accessibility, uh, it it is only accessible to iOS <laughs> users right now, but we know that Android is on the way. So yeah, so look for, um, and Jen Cole and I are both on Clubhouse. So if you are listening to this and you're on Clubhouse, please follow us and engage with us. And um, we look forward to talking more about, about Clubhouse and all the, the, the future and the present of audio, because obviously we think it's important <laughs> having it's done kind of this for 75 episodes. So, but it is, it's a way to um, have it just not be one way, which um, I, I'm excited about. So, all right. Thank y'all. This has been episode 75 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.